ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek, 5 foot 11, 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous, 5 foot 11, 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. And we're back with exciting news. Yes, we are now professional. We have a sponsor for the show, which is awesome for us, but even more awesome for you. Indeed, because who doesn't love a sweet, sweet online shopping discount code? And in this case, it's an online shopping discount code that gets you delicious coffee delivered to your doorstep. From our good friends, Prism Coffee, who are four Canberra lads who I've known for a while. Uh, who've all worked in and around the specialty coffee industry for some time now and now uh, out on their own they've got a roaster they're roasting beans uh, and just generally kicking ass with delicious coffee so john how do the people get this amazing discount you speak of go to their website which is prismcoffee.com.au pick from the couple of different blends and some single origins that they've got. You can get it ground, you can get it in whole beans if you prefer to grind your own. They've got all of the options. Uh, and then you use the code PEAKSPEAK in the discount bit of the shopping cart and uh, you'll get a sneaky 10% off and it'll rock up on your doorstep in some amount of time. I don't remember exactly what it is, but I think they express post everything, so hopefully quickly. Perfect. Amazing. And well, that's it. Without further ado, here's, here's the episode. Yeah. Enjoy. Presented by Thomas Lilly and John Sheridan, Baby Cry in the Background, not included. Recording. I'm just going to start every episode with a can opening and let everyone guess whether it's beer or Pepsi. It's Pepsi. That's, you can't fucking ruin the game for everyone, Thomas. Jesus. Hey, here's another spoiler alert. We were just talking about how John dropped his magical cube in the toilet. <laughs> Yeah, that was a fun time. <laughs> that was definitely the funniest thing that's happened to me all day. And then went on to describe how cockroaches never flush down the toilet. Mm. That, it's a conspiracy the, by a big n- cockroach. Welcome to the deep insights of Peak Speak Planet. <laughs> <laughs> we probably spent more time talking about those two things than we did anything about what we're going to talk about. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, pretty much. How is Burley? Yeah, good man. Life is is pretty good. Uh, no major complaints at this point. Still, obviously, early in the in the year. This is my first week, like full week back at work. I kind of took a couple of weeks off. Mm. Uh, so yeah, just getting into the swing of things, making sure everything's squared away, and starting to ramp things up for the year. How about you? Yeah. How's how's Queensland and your multitude of gyms and other adventures? Yeah, going good. Uh, Brisbane was locked down on the weekend and now we have to wear masks until next Friday I just want to give a shout out to basically everyone in in Melbourne and international people who have to wear masks because I I had to walk the dog uh, with a mask on for three days and I was very close to just taking taking buddy and walking straight up the freeway on ramp and just seeing what happened because fucking masks suck 
Yeah, I had to wear one uh, in Melbourne over Christmas, and having a big beard makes conventional masks really annoying. Yeah, because of the way, well, the way my beard sits because of my fat chin and the fact that it's mostly neck beard, uh, it like sits out from my face, so it pushes the mask up onto my like yeah. onto the bridge of my eyes, so I can just see it the whole time, and it's fucking annoying. But yeah, shout out to anyone who actually had to wear masks the whole time. Also, like. Not negative shout outs I don't know if that's a thing anti shout out to people who complain about not being able to breathe while wearing a mask maybe just suck the fuck up and wear a mask it'll be good for you <laughs> yeah yeah. And it's like could- a couple of, couple of layers of cloth doesn't affect your oxygen intake that much this could this could easily easily go down a deep rabbit hole of shedding our opinions on uh, COVID etiquette and well here's COVID- the here's the thing Thomas as a meathead who specializes pretty much exclusively in coaching meatheads, uh, I don't have an opinion on almost anything related to that because I'm not a fucking ec- epidemiology expert and I don't pretend to be one on the internet, unlike it appears to be almost everyone else in the world. You don't need to be an epidemiology expert. You just need to have a Facebook login, an Instagram login, or a Twitter login. Or all three. Or all three. Why not? And then take a screenshot of one and put it on the stories of the other. That's a classic Tom Bro approach. <laughs> yeah. I didn't used to be a fan of it, but it seems to get a, a lot yeah, of attention. Yeah, it is annoyingly effective. Because <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, it's... Uh, and, like, I only know it's annoyingly effective because the posts that I actually read are almost always the ones that are, like, a line of text followed by a caption. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frustrating. But, hey, it works. It does. It does. How is the um, new front door? It's great. It's, uh, yeah, it's excellent. It's nice to have a front door. We now have like a fancy no touch uh, exit. So you don't have to like press the exit button to unlock the door. You just wave your hand in front of it, which is pretty cool. Um, And nice. Yeah. Like, you know, it does nothing other than unlock the door like the button did, but it just looks cooler. Mm. Uh, So that's nice. Uh, yeah, we've got to get the signage and stuff sorted because uh, the Strata insurance didn't cover that. We've got to claim that shit on our insurance. Off the off the cuff, do you have any sort of anxiety, any fear, uh, any emotion or thoughts around COVID lockdowns happening again for, for gyms specifically? Is, is this something that you worry about? I wouldn't say fear. I think I'm way better prepared for it this time. Like, I think I'd I'd get a lot more out of it, you know, and, like, be a lot more useful. Uh, it would inevitably be a stressful process. Um, mm. But, yeah, like, I wouldn't say I'm, like, scared of it or, or have a significant amount of anxiety around it. It'd just be a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. Like, but I, I think I would probably be more effective in a lockdown this time because I, I know what I need to do. And I like just in general this year, I'm already a bit more organized and, and proactive about what my plans are for the year. So I think it would just shift things a little bit rather than being like a complete old fuck, which is kind of what it was last year. Yeah. I don't I don't think I did a great job of like pivoting into providing, you know, exclusively online content and stuff like that. But I think this year I would, I would do a better job of that. Mm. What about you? Yeah, no, I like the the recent Brisbane lockdown was just kind of like a, I, I guess a reminder that exists. Like, yeah, it, it's almost like it, it it felt like a natural disaster, like a cyclone or a flood or something, where it's yeah. like big. It was talk of the town, and then it was just kind of gone. And then to me, the rest of the world was experiencing those things. You know, Melbourne was getting 
the cyclone or the flood uh, and we were just like reconditioned to normality so th- like the little lockdown that we had on the weekend is just kind of a reminder that oh, okay things are still going on but yeah i'm so uh task driven that i forget about it within a, a few hours and then it's just back to doing what's in front of me yeah the um the time i spent in melbourne over christmas was a, a bit of an eye-opening experience because canberra's been so relatively untouched in the scheme of things compared to like even brisbane you know we had the initial lockdown and then we were done Hmm. and then life in canberra has been back to normal almost immediately like we've been really lucky in in that respect so going to melbourne and like seeing people in masks and having to wear masks and and all of those sort of things was a, a good reminder for me that it's all still going on but um yeah living in canberra it's pretty easy to forget sometimes yeah, so actually, continuing on with that, sorry to derail the entire podcast, everyone listening, and coming back to this. We're not sorry at all, just for the record. This is how con- we roll. Continuing with my rant about masks and how I, much I dislike them, any avid fans of the show would have heard my rant about like people not saying hello when I walk past them and forcing them to say hello. It was way harder when you were wearing a mask because like, my system is like eye contact from about 10 meters away. Don't hold eye contact because then it gets a bit weird. So look around have a you know or look at their dog or whatever and then within sort of three meters re-eye contact quick smile hello bam like really quick easy process but when you look at people when you're wearing a mask you can be grinning and all you see is a mask yeah it's really hard to tell if someone's prepared to receive the hello and then again give one back so it was yeah, a really tricky time for me and i hope <laughs> god you have a hard strong, life thomas i don't know i don't know how you survive it's much it's also much worse if you like wearing sunglasses as well because uh, i i wear sunglasses a lot and so you know black mask big beard dark sunglasses maybe i'm gonna kill you maybe i'm like smiling really politely and i'm i'm quite approachable who can say who can say now so one thing that is important to me is doing my walk every day because it's part of my routine. Let's talk about routines. Oh, that's hey, well. almost as good as segues have been this year. I mean, this is only episode two for 2021, so you've got a ways to go, but hey, it's winning so far. So Alex Evans, who is arguably one of the show's biggest fans, uh, he talks to me about basically every episode that we do, um, was chatting to me yesterday about the idea of... Uh, of the kind of setup routines as in like the kind of almost superstitions that lifters have around their their lifting and how much of an impact that in my experience i've seen it have on uh performance as in think of things like the bench has to be perfectly lined up to the ceiling now, like when you're lying down everything has to be parallel and, and nice and neat the bar when you go to pull a deadlift has to be perfectly straight the squat rack has to be per- all that stuff uh, has to has to happen or you have to have your perfect setup routine uh, before you do a deadlift or something like that um, and he was you know saying the point of like people when those routines get disrupted I wonder how much it impacts their performance so that's that's where this conversation starts yeah and I think it's it's something that um, some people like develop without realizing it because I know like you and I are both big in, on coaching the idea of like a systematic approach to what you're doing, which kind of lends itself to developing some consistent process that happens. Like I, and I talk about it when I, when I, um, when I coach people, like a, when I squat, my right hand grabs the bar first every time, like not cause it fucking matters just cause that's the habit that I've got into. And, mm. and that's the process that I go through. Uh, and it's not that I actively encourage people to develop a ridiculous dance on their way up to their sumo deadlift, but some of those things happen organically. And then I think 
people don't recognize the role that they play in their own training or, or performance on the comp platform so it's not until it gets messed up like so you know the bar's misloaded as you're in the process of wobbling both hands praying to the lord and then stamping your feet 18.5 times before you set up for your deadlift uh if something gets thrown out of that process then it's only in hindsight can you recognize the power of it mm. um so yeah i think it's it's interesting because it, i feel like it's gotten worse like i feel like <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the Instagram age has brought a, a whole swathe of weird setup processes to <laughs> to powerlifting, and like just spoiler spoiler alert up front, just cut that shit out of your fucking Instagram videos. If you've got more than like one point eight seconds of setup process in your lifting video, I'm just gonna scroll through it and not watch it. <laughs> like it's yeah. not that hard, people. Just fucking edit that out. I, w- I was going to say the Instagram thing as well, like the the, the um, proliferation of accessibility to uh, seeing other people lift. I- I'd be really curious to talk to someone who actually knows like psychology and how like the stuff that we see impacts what we do in terms of this sort of stuff. Yeah. Because like think of think of things like um, people who walk their squat out and then do the little heel kick out to the side. Oh my god, like that-, that infuriates me. That's that's never that's never something that anyone teaches. No, it's, it's not something that if you, in the absence of ever seeing it, that you'd probably arrive at doing. But it's something that so many people do. It gets um, me every time. Like you don't have chewing gum on your feet; just put them on the floor. <laughs> and so it, it's it's funny, like observing this stuff from uh, a coaching perspective and having seen it evolve over time as well. A lot of the things that people do like that are pretty harmless. Yeah, uh, but but sometimes they can go wrong. I think it was Liz Craven actually is is a good example of the the heel kicking thing. She had an incident where she pretty badly busted up her uh, ankle by kicking a heel out, and her foot got caught, and she rolled her ankle. While she yeah, was I, I actually remember that happening. Yeah, um, and that she's not a lone example of that. There's been plenty of people that have that have done that. But it's just so interesting, like to reflect on my own lifting journey as well, and to look back on how I used to set up and weird things that I used to do. Um, and I'm trying to think of a couple of examples. People used to call me uh, in here like a, an airplane because I used to like squeeze my traps and squeeze my hands and they were like over time my arms ended up way out yeah, to yeah. the side. No one can see me doing this. But. For the record, you still do that and it cracks me up every no, time. No, I, see, I, it's, it's devolved now. So the traps go up and the hands twitch, but they never go out to the side like they used to. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's just kind of like you catch yourself doing it in a video and you're like, what the is that yeah who is this clown and what is he doing (laughs) but it's just so weird to look back on it and be like here's a video where i never did that here's a video where i did what was how how did that evolve to that stage like why did i start doing that yeah Um, yeah. and if you i'm sure you experience this quite a bit as well like how often do you have to coach someone out of uh, a weird elaborate setup that most of the time yeah is harmless but can actually be uh can actually be harmful you know like for, for me, it's bench setup. So oftentimes- They're like walking like, the shoulder blades down. Walking shoulder blades down, ending up yeah. really uneven, doing a super elaborate, like get into position and then ruin it by this like untaught, unheard of thing where you let go of the bar, let go of your shoulders and then grab the upright, like double dipping in so many areas yeah, of yeah. tightness for the sake of a routine. Sometimes yeah. you have to, as a coach, coach people out of this stuff. And that's fucking hard because it's so ingrained and not thought about anymore. Yeah. And most people in that- situation you go like like why are you doing that and they're like oh 
am I doing it? (laughs) (laughs) Not even aware. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And and why? I I don't know. Like, I I don't know what I'm doing. I I didn't even realize I was doing it. It just happens. Mm. Uh, So, yeah, it's definitely not easy to pull people out of that routine because it it gets so ingrained. The nature of a sport like powerlifting that's so monotonous in terms of your exposure to the sport uh, in the you know squatting reps and benching reps and deadlifting reps, you're doing hundreds of those a week. Uh, it's really quickly becomes this habit that's incredibly hard to shake and, and takes a lot of really conscious effort. Mm. And again, and not to say that you do need to shake it, um, no. But when you start then uh, encroaching this or mixing this with actual competition, is where it can get a little bit hairy. So. Um, uh, one one important thing to remember when it comes to competition is the competition's about you uh, yep. and that you have time. So like if you go out to a deadlift bar and it's crooked and you know that fucks with your head and now that's all you're thinking about, you're going to fuck up your deadlift. Yeah. Like straighten it up, walk back, set up again or say to the spot loaders, hey, can you straighten up that bar for me? Like the comp is about you, you've got time. Same thing with a crooked bench. For me personally, that's one of my things. Like if, if a bench is crooked, I'm pretty... So don't ever come and bench at my gym then because they <laughs> almost never align with the roof. When, when I walk out with a lifter at a comp, if I see that the bench is walked back crooked, I'll run in front of the lifter onto the platform <laughs> and straighten up the bench. Not because- Regardless like, of whether it matters for them or not. Well, the thing is most lifters aren't going to articulate that. They're going to get yeah. off the bench after a failed attempt and be like, oh, that, the bench was crooked. And if that's the first thing you say, that was the thing that fucked with your head. So if I can just automatically remove any yeah, of the yeah. possibility of that, of, I'm going to go out and do it. And same thing with crooked bars on deadlifts. I'll yell out to the spotters, hey, straighten up that up. Like, that's that's yeah. what they're there for. So where do you stand on uh, plate loading that doesn't conform with the competition rules in training? Oh, I don't care. Yeah, 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 good. Because <laughs> I, I used to care. I used to be the person that gave a shit. And I recognized that that was just an immature waste of my brain capacity and that it doesn't matter. And so now I actually prefer to fuck with people and, and deliberately, horrifically load bars because I think it there's an element of that sort of thing in a process that doesn't actually matter. You know, like the, mm-hmm. the plates all weigh the same. The deviation from the center of mass is not actually appreciable so it's not going to have any real influence on what's happening and so like i think you can get a bit of like mental resilience out of it mm. by deliberately challenging those biases or those, those feelings and routines in training because ultimately that's the thing that will make you a good competitor like mm-hmm. the the best competitors i've seen are mentally resilient and can adjust on the fly to anything that that is happening around them, you know, like the, the best example is, um, I handled Nathan Jones at, was it 2013 GPA worlds, 2014, whenever yeah, that GPA worlds Sydney, yeah. yeah, happened in Sydney. And, um, the That's guy, right. the guy in front of him, like just ate shit completely dumped the squat bar it hit the floor he was on the ground, like bleeding a bit They had to unload the bar, pick it up, put it back in the rack and Nathan just stood there as calm as anyone I've ever seen with his knees wrapped and like, I really fucked his knees up. Not quite as bad as the time I fucked his knees up at Pro Raw. Um, but, <laughs> but, I, but I did wrap them as tight as I can. Uh, and he just stood there and he turned around to me and was like, can you just like massage my calves a bit? My feet are going numb. And then just went out cool as a cucumber and crushed it. And I think that that's the example I use regularly for that sort of thing because the resilience and 
uh, fortitude that it takes to 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 deal with something that is so so unpredictable, so unexpected, mm. and then to just be able to stand there and like I know people who've oh no like I've had my wraps on for eight seconds too long and now I missed my squat. <laughs> like yeah. you know the that fragility in your uh, your process can be really detrimental, especially as you get to go to bigger and bigger comps. Mm. Because they're like things just happen at bigger sure. comps that don't happen at small local meets. Yeah. I think the the average standard of powerlifting meets in Australia is pretty high these mm. days, especially compared to around some of the places around the world. And so you can kind of expect things to go smoothly and for the most part. But the bigger the meet, the bigger the risks that are being taken, the more likely something crazy to get, is going to happen. And so being ready for it, uh, I think, can be really beneficial. Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's kind of the direction I wanted to go in terms of, like, uh, from a practical standpoint, what sort of stuff can lifters do uh, to prevent their routines being a, a roadblock for them in competition situations? So what you were just talking about there is a great example. Um, one of the best examples I can give is, like, music. Just don't don't be addicted to lifting PBs at the, with the same song because you don't get to choose your music at a competition. If, if that's part of your routine, like fucking go for it. Like I'm, I'm all for people having things in their routine that help them, but you're going to have to make the routine like music in for your setup, like music in for wrapping your knees, music in for getting your mind ready, music off for setting up and actually executing the yeah, lift because that's what and, it's going to be like at comps. And that's the way I do it. Like I, I rely heavily on music for the psychological arousal, um, but it's exactly that. Like I, in the gym, I train with it as loud as I want to because I own the fucking place. I do what I want. Um, but at a competition, I do exactly that. I've got headphones on till the moment it's uh, the bar's loaded and I take them out and then whatever else is going on doesn't actually matter because for me, I don't really hear anything else. Like I'm so sort of zoned in on what I'm doing that what's going on around me is irrelevant. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, the people who are training in an environment where like they're doing all of their lifts with headphones on and, and things like that can really quickly become a crutch. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So f f for me, my, my brain works a little bit differently. Like with the whole ADHD thing, H being hyperactivity, when I have headphones in, I become hyper-focused. So if I'm like yep. doing mentoring calls, this is all that exists. I don't get distracted by what's happening around me. I get distracted by what's happening in other people's videos and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. If I do this at a comp, I'll be so hyper-focused that I'll be exhausted by the time I get to my first squat. So, yeah. like, And same in the gym. If I'm training, I can't have headphones on and I prefer not to listen to my choice of music. Like I'd, I'm happy to have just noise, just yeah, stuff yeah. happening so I can, you know, learn to hone in my, on, on what I need to focus on. Um, but the music thing is a big thing because lots of people are, are really, uh, really, really, really used to now training with a specific set of songs or music and lifting the actual numbers with those things and you just don't get that option in common. Another big one is equipment. So many people, so many people in here, so many people at the Brisbane gym walk in, go straight to the same bench, same squat rack every single time. You see the same thing, you're facing the same way, you're in the same spot of the gym, everything is the same. Don't get used to that. Use different pieces of equipment. Use a different power rack. Use a different bench. Use a different whatever. Use different plates. Use different bars. Uh, you have to be uh, prepared to accommodate the changes, especially like John said, if you're not in Australia, like in Australia, normally you know what equipment you're going to use. And most of the time, if you're at a powerlifting gym or even some commercial gyms, you have that equipment already. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you go to an overseas comp, all the stuff's different, all the stuff's weird. Yeah. Everyone else around you is weird and different and looks, I shouldn't say it like that, but you know what yeah, I mean. I was going to say, that was super xenophobic, but great. <laughs> no, it's not your regular environment is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. And so and you, I think you have to be prepared to deal with that. I think with uh, using the same equipment thing, a lot of people would be, again, like doing that without realizing. For sure. Because it, it's just a habit. Yeah, yeah, you just you walk into the gym, you chuck your bag on the shelf, you say good day, and then suddenly you're under the same bar that you were exactly the same time last week. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately, like this, the first half of this episode sort of sounds like we're against the idea of routines, but no, not at all. I think you know, routines can be incredibly powerful um, and and can be useful in all avenues of life, but it's when those routines become so rigid and inflexible that you can't perform without them that you're in trouble. Mm. And I think the, the the nature of any sort of relatively complex skill is, uh, like I don't know anything about psychology research or anything like that, but I'm sure there's something to be said for the power of the routine process. Like Olympic weightlifting is really uh, interesting on that front because it's such a precise high velocity high mm. uh high intensity movement that if you are a little bit out of your routine it, it can really throw you off with dramatic consequences um the same thing with like the you know things like archery and diving and like all those sort of olympic sports that are one really precise skill performed at a high level i think a lot of that is routine based and can be really useful but you know, even at like the Olympics hearing, uh, I think I've heard like Matt Vincent talk to Adam Nelson, who's a, uh, Olympic gold medalist in shot put. He's like, you know, the, the Olympics is set up to like, basically to, for you to fail. Like it's, you warm up on a, a field that's 30 minute bus ride away or like a 15 minute bus ride away. And then you catch the bus to the venue and then you sit and wait for 45 minutes mm. and then you, you know, you get three throws and that's it. Uh, and I think that speaks to the 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 sort of power of character and resilience that can be really beneficial at that high end. And I think that's what makes a good competitor, right? Like For that's sure. why the, the Nathan Jones example is a really good one. Nathan's one of the best competitors I've ever seen in powerlifting. Yeah. He's so effective at what he does that nothing rattles him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the the thing that separates people who are just kind of strong and, and okay at powerlifting from people who are fucking excellent. Like Crozier is another great example. For sure. Watching Crozier squat as high as anyone in the country's ever squatted before and <laughs> get reds on his first two uh, squats and, and then like come out and, you know, you could see, because I was there for that, you could see after the second squat, he was a bit rattled. Hmm. But to be able to refocus, come back in and execute at at a high fucking level uh, and still come away with it is is incredibly impressive to me. Like that's the thing that I think uh, I get the most enjoyment out of watching is people who are just really fucking good competitors. Yeah. The thing that stands out to me about that specific comp, like Will at, Will at that specific comp, is not just the fact that he stayed composed enough to get his third attempt, because that in itself is a massive feat, like yeah. pushing two lifts and then coming back to get it as, as a standalone thing. On top of that, being able to do that in the environment of pro roll, which is mental to begin with, yeah. but the fact that everyone else around him, besides me, because I'm just never rattled anyway, everyone else, everyone else around him was completely rattled as well. And like yeah. really sending that, uh, that vibe uh, out. And so for him to like, 
have that environment right in front of him of everyone's rattled everyone's like frazzled around him but he's just like focused on what he and that's like you say it's just such a fucking cool thing to watch and nathan is always a huge pleasure to watch yeah uh, because of the same sort of reasons the composure and just the ability to execute when the time is and to be honest i think that's one of the things that uh like one of the skills that can be carried over from competitive sport to life like that understanding that when the chips are on the table and it's decision time you can get shit done you can step up to the plate and know it's there and be ready to go Mm. uh i think that if you can hone it and develop it over time because i think some people are kind of born with it like i think there's a, a an element of innate calmness and and resilience that you probably can't learn but then there's a lot on top of that that is practice and exposure and you know like nathan's been competing since they invented powerlifting he's quite old now um i don't think he actually listens to this so he probably won't hear me talk shit about him uh someone will tell him surely uh but that continual exposure to those environments i think is the thing that helps you develop that mm-hmm. uh and especially like australian powerlifters super spoiled so you'll go to a really good comp and potentially you'll go to like you know i've got people who've never competed in a competition outside of our gym mm. like and have been lifting for multiple years yeah and i think i've comp- i think i've only slept in my own bed twice maybe three times before competing mm-hmm. like I, i've spent my entire competition career traveling to compete uh and even that plays a role like mm. i actually think i'm probably better suited to not sleeping in my own bed because because it's part I, of the routine it's what yeah accustomed ex- to. exactly and i like it's an isolation thing as well like i i am not in my home where i'm like oh that fucking pile of washing that i should probably deal with uh and those sort of things uh can almost end up as distractions mm. so i think you know things like maybe traveling a little bit to go and compete in a meet that isn't in your gym doing those things that are are potentially going to expose you to these things can be really useful Mm. as a tool for developing that resilience yeah i i can't remember if we talked about this after i did my comp um but this falls directly into that category so i cut for my comp that i did in december and when i say a cut i mean i did a water cut and uh normally you do a water cut to make a weight class i didn't a water cut within the weight class so I was uh, a very svelte 121 kilos and I, I water cut and I think I weighed in at 115.9. So whatever that is, you know, six or seven kilos, five kilos, whatever. I, I water cut at 25% body weight. Yeah. That's pretty, at body fat, that's pretty easy though. Yeah, true. Um, <laughs> I, so I water cut this weight and I was talking to Stenzel uh, during the week and he's like, why are you cutting? I'm like, because I'm competing. He's like, but you're not cutting for a weight class. I'm like, yeah, but I'm competing like when i compete i cut like it's just what i've always done and th- yeah. that wasn't that wasn't my true mindset as in like that's not why i was cutting as much as it was it's not a serious comp i haven't cut for ages and i just kind of wanted to yeah it's I a could, useful practice session sort of thing yeah and i i don't believe in that i don't think you should ever practice cut i think it's fucking stupid but for some reason i was really driven to do this and a big part of it is because when i do a comp i cut like it's it's just yeah, yeah. always always been such a thing so um that was that was part of my routine uh what was i gonna say i don't know i don't know to talk about cutting competing outside of your own gym oh, uh, <laughs> this was just an off note while you were talking about like you know those different environments and different comps and everything like that one common theme i've noticed about taking people to worlds 
uh, of, of various different federations. That's very different to what we have when we're competing here at home is the distance you have to walk from where you wrap your knees to where you lift. <laughs> Legit, like, um, you know, the, the length of my gym is uh, a 20 something meters. And the length, the length that you have to walk from where you wrap your knees to where you lift on comp days at my gyms is about five meters. Yeah, mine's not even. Mine's like two and a half meters, maybe three. At many comps that I've been to, the the distance you have to walk between where you wrap and where you compete is more like twenty to forty meters. Like the length of the gym is not a bit more. So you're doing this like power waddle for what seems like forever. And I mean that can be enough to fuck everything up. There's a video oh god, I think it's I think it was one of the like Chinese coaches in IPF Worlds who like literally picked up a like 52 kilo <laughs> equipped competitor and carried her to the platform i think i like, think that was 2000 uh, it was it was the era of carl christensen because he yeah, spoke right. about that exactly because what happened who the, the fuck's gonna pick up carl <laughs> the, well the the um the warm-up room was like up a flight of stairs and oh, like yeah that's a, right yeah something like a five to ten minute walk from from the actual comp and so that wouldn't have been a big deal uh, if you weren't wearing the tightest fucking suit known to mankind. Yeah. Uh, and like to walk that in a suit would be just nasty, nasty, nasty. Yeah. It's almost easier to sit down and slide down the stairs than it is to walk down. Yeah, fuck that. Fuck that. Um, when it comes to developing routines as well, it's it's such a weird thing because like we were talking about before, they just come, kind of come out of nowhere. So I, I would say like as another practical point, probably one of the, the worst things to do is try and force a routine. Yeah. Try and say, and I mean, like you've done this more than definitely. I've done this more than definitely, as in like the routines I've tried to force aggression. Like I, I went through that real aggressive phase of like lots of ammonia and back slaps and face slaps, and I hated it every time. Like I, I'm very sensitive to that sort of stuff. And Just a very sensitive boy, Thomas. It did it did not work, but I forced it because I thought like this is what the lifters do. This is what the yeah. big people do. I'm gonna do this thing, and it just it didn't work. And like, yeah, it's easy uh, to force routine. We had um, uh, uh, an experience like that. Uh, Mike Eichholz uh, competed at nationals a couple of years ago and like for a third deadlift, like wasn't in a position to place or anything like that. I think it was maybe 2015. But had never really been like an angry lifter and came out uh, and he had his brother, Matt, who at the time was a fucking giant, like 160 <laughs> kilo, six foot three monster. Big boy. Uh, and he slapped him in the face. Uh, right before his last deadlift and Mike did one of the worst deadlifts I've ever seen and and missed it mid shin because he was so amped up in a really negative way mm. that he had no chance of getting it done and he came off and like cooled, calmed down a little bit and we had a chat about it and he's like alright cool I, that doesn't work for me <laughs> you know and, and sometimes you have to try those things a little bit like I think there's a lot of value in in experimenting like that because I'm I'm the opposite to you I, I get pretty angry I've had a few people look quite scared uh, as I'm you know preparing for a third deadlift or something like that you definitely get the crazy eyes I've seen the crazy eyes yeah yeah 100% the crazy eyes followed immediately by a smile of like fuck yeah I actually really enjoy this like that's <laughs> that's the funniest bit to me is that I look like I'm gonna murder someone and then my eyes are closed and I've got this big grin on my face and I'm super psyched about it uh, well, that's the scariest thing who's gonna like you've getting this joy out of potentially murdering someone yeah but and the thing is it's like you know i'm not actually like angry i'm actually a very incredibly no, jolly and and happy kind of person but that's the zone that i that i like to be in 
and that's I know that works I get a weird like handshake thing where I get this like both hands like twitching almost uh and like I know it works for me and I like I get goosebumps thinking about it you know like I can walk out now and and ramp that right up now and get the performance boost out of it Mm. because it's become something that I've developed like it wasn't like you said it wasn't I chose to do this it was I experimented with different options and found for me that's the thing that works Mm. and it like I can ramp it up and I can ramp it down it can be a little bit it can be a lot that I think is the skill set that you can develop over time once you've kind of established what works and what doesn't Mm. but trying things is the way to do that yeah 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 what and like I, I had a, a recent experience with this. So, tra- training equipped uh, for the APL, I had to walk out, and like wa- walking out is a is a soft skill that I'm I'm comfortable with because I've done it since I've started lifting. So, mm. my my walkouts are very uh, efficient, very consistent. I can take two yep. steps and I'm exactly where I need to be. In the pseudo standing wider, and I just wasn't used to doing it with that kind of load. And so, oftentimes I would walk out crooked, uh, yep. and rather than forcing myself to look down and shuffle my feet a thousand times and waste all my energy it was a, a skill i had to learn to be okay with being a little bit crooked realigning my vision being like i am straight if i'm looking here even though the rest of the room isn't straight yeah and then yeah. going into that you know split second before you squat where everything just disappears and you're not actually looking at anything trying to find that really quickly and just be like i'm not even seeing anything it doesn't matter like it was a it was a skill i had to quickly develop to be okay and my uh, uh my second squat that was the grind of of death at that, that was pretty fucking w- impressive <laughs> was really twisted like i my foot yeah. would have been offset by a couple of inches so i was looking at a different direction uh and so yeah it, like it i had to learn it because otherwise it might have screwed me up on comp day but i think that in itself speaks to your experience and your understanding of your own lifting and and your own uh process because i think there are a lot of people who would be you know 10 years your junior in terms of lifting experience and, and competing experience specifically because that's the thing that actually matters like you can have the greatest fucking routine in the world in the gym but if you can't replicate it on comp day then it's useless mm-hmm. and um so i think that's where you've developed that understanding of yourself over time and, and that experience and that's what's put you in the position to be able to go like recognize oh this is the thing that i'm gonna have to deal with and this is the best way to deal with it and this is how you can come out the other side effectively mm. yeah it's it's one thing that always uh bothered me about when i competed in ipf and one thing about that bothered me bothers me about ipf um because i'm a i'm a big ipf fan in general i'm just a big lifting fan uh, but i don't like the uh you can't have your own handout person rule yeah like you have to have a, a that that is the ultimate example of a disruption of routine and yeah. so lifters take one of two routes they're like okay i'm gonna learn how to be okay with having a whole bunch of different handouts and learn at being learn a, a good language to you know translate what, what i want need. yeah or i'm gonna get the routine of doing this myself yeah i like that i like that there's an added skill component in the ipf of that but i also hate it because that pisses me off because i like very specific handouts yeah, and, and especially like with equipped lifting as with well. Like you get a bad handout and equipped, you're fucked. You might as well just put it back in the rack and come back for your second attempt. Like it's it, those millimeters either way will really throw you off. Mm. Uh, and yeah, like I, I'm always really gentle in the way I hand out people to like at comps here because people are like, oh, dude, like can someone help me hand out? Like yeah, I'm more than happy to. 
but I know like the lifters that I coach, I know how they like to be handed out. I know how much pressure I need to take off the bar. I handed a bunch of people out at our most recent novice comp. I'm like, I didn't actually do anything. Like my hands were on the bar yeah, and they, they, they were like three, two, one. And I'd go to pull on it and they've already got it over their chest. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then I'd come back on the second and do the same thing. And like, if, if <laughs> that, even just that psychological boost of having yeah. someone's hands on it is what helps you, cool. Like, that's fine. But I, I suspect, given it was a novice comp, most of those people didn't realize that I wasn't doing anything <laughs> to help them hand it out. I love that. And then they're like, oh, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, it was so such much. a great yeah, hand out. Oh, yeah, that, no problem. No worries, man. I'm world handout champion. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I feel like uh, we've gone in a few circles. Um, I guess as a as a tangible practical endpoint, routines they're okay. Have routines. Just make sure that if you are a competitive lifter, that your routines stand up to what's going to be required of you on comp day. And they're not disrupting yep. what you have to do on competition day. Yep, I think that's a good place to finish it. Okay, in the name of Iron, Amen. <laughs>